<laughs> I am cheering for someone who is beating up someone else. But mm. the writing is just so good that I was like, oh my god, I want horrible things to happen to Boggs, and I am here for it. Yeah. Even though in my head, as Ankit, I'm like, never beat someone up. This is a bad thing to do. What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madeira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films to keep my friends happy and potentially provide a new perspective on some popular films. I'm on a quest to change that. However, I am not on this quest alone. This week, once again, I am joined by my good friend, Ben Lefebvre. Ben, how is it going? I'm back. I was here for Woo. part one. I've been part two now, baby. <laughs> We're now here for part two. I mean, it's been... 10 minutes in real time, but whoo, it's been a week in listening time. Um, thanks for hosting Aim, and it's great to be back. It's been all of like, what, just a little bit, so. It's uh, been a whole like 12 minutes since we stopped recording yeah, the we'll, last we'll episode. We'll be real. We, we, won't, we won't hide it from our <laughs> listeners, but they, they need to be with us in this room know, knowing what it's like. Yeah, they need to be in your office recording a podcast with you rather yeah, than my work doing yeah, work i'm currently in boise from portland Ankit's over there in london so we got two different time zones it, it's a fun time we we sort it out we make it work so once again we're talking about the shawshank redemption we are continuing on where we left off now ben last episode we asked, you know, what was your background on the film? When did you first see it? What were your thoughts? However, for this episode, because it is the same film that we are discussing, I thought it would be fun. You know, later on, and we'll get to it in this episode, we learn a lot about books and we end up in a library. What is one of your favorite book series or books? That's interesting. Yeah, they do bring up a lot of books in the movie. That's a good point. I was a big Lightning Thief fan. Like, I, I grew up with a little bit of Harry Potter, a little bit of Hunger Games, but Lightning Thief was, like, Greek gods and all this adventure and quest. That was super cool to me, so I really I really liked that series. That was my favorite that I read all of them that I could. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's my favorite series as well. I won't deny it. Like, I enjoyed Harry Potter. It was fun, but I was just a lot more drawn into rick's writing and you know i i liked the stories that he was telling they really progressed at a pace that my mind was in tune with oh yeah definitely did you ever read past the original series did you read any of the other ones i read a f like three i read the series that came afterwards but after that series like after the like the fourth book or something or third book i i stopped on like the fourth or third book Fair enough. I don't. I my recollection of that series was like it's a completely different series. It was just the Lightning Thief was a thing of its own. The Percy Jackson, the original five books was just it was a different thing, and especially when you were about our age when they were coming out, we were the exact target demographic. I think of when those books were coming out of who the books were written for, because yeah. if I remember right, like what we were nine or ten when these books came out which meant that we were kind of growing up with percy and annabeth and grover as they were going on this quest like we were around the same age um, as the main characters so yeah 
I wonder if people are still reading Harry Potter and like Lightning Thief. I want to know like uh, if there's more or less now because of technology. I know for a fact a lot of people are reading The Lightning Thief because I just went to a podcast live show by a guy named Mike Schubert. And his whole thing, slightly similar to mine, is that he's reading the Percy Jackson series for the first time. So I know a lot of people are still reading them and, you know, they are very popular. They're coming out with the TV show at the start of probably 2024. They finished filming for it. I don't know what they're going to do, though, because the actor who was supposed to play Zeus just suddenly passed away. And so I'm not sure what is going to happen there. They haven't announced anything and that's okay. Like it's been, I think, less than a week since he has passed away. Rest in peace, Lance. I believe that was his name. I think I've seen some films he's in. I also don't know. Apparently he was in The Matrix. That's all I can tell you because that's what popped up on my social media. We'll have to watch that one next. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Haven't seen The Matrix yet. (laughs) Any of them. I know that a pill is involved. But anyway, Shawshank Redemption. That's what we're here to talk about. So where we left in our story is that it is 1949 and things are about to change. Things have not been going well for Andy. Quick recap, he has been convicted of murder, a double murder of his former wife and her lover. And he was sentenced to two life sentences at prison which still doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. So what we learned, 1949, the warden is speaking to the prison and that the roof of the license plate factory apparently needs resurfacing. And this is an outdoor detail, an outdoor job in May, and they need 12 volunteers. More than 100 people applied because apparently everybody wants to go outside in May. Yeah, sounds nice. And... Red and his friends were the ones to get the job, and it just cost them a pack of smokes each. So, you know, not that big of a price to pay for getting out of the prison, I guess, for a few days. And so the crew's all working, and at the same time, we have Hadley talking to the guards. He tells them that his brother has died, and he isn't really sorry. His brother was an asshole. Cool. Um, his brother ran off years ago, and Hadley just assumed that he was dead. But apparently, the brother has died a rich man, and was almost worth a million dollars by the time he passed away. And that he left Hadley 35000 And one guard is thrilled, saying that Hadley just won the sweepstakes. Which, fair enough, I mean, like, 35 k in 1950, a lot of money. Yeah, some dough. Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what that translates to in current day currency, but it it was a lot. Inflation wasn't as bad. So Andy starts listening to Hadley complaining about how this isn't a good thing and that, you know, after taxes and after everything, he's not going to have anything left. And Hadley walks over to, or not Hadley, Andy walks over to Hadley despite everybody else being like, Andy, stop, stop moving, do not move, stop, what are you doing, you dumbass. (laughs) I just started laughing, I was like, he either has a plan, or Andy is no longer going to be the main character of our story. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) This is going one of two ways. We find out. So, 
Andy asks Hadley if he trusts his wife. Hadley's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Andy asks him again, do you trust your wife? Hadley gets upset and is like, screw it, grabs Andy and goes to throw him off the roof. And I was like, oh, bye bye, Andy. It was nice knowing you. We'll, we'll see you soon. But as he's being dragged to the edge, Andy blurts out that if Hadley trusts his wife, then there's no reason that he can't keep the 35 grand. So right as Hadley is about to just let go of Andy and let him fall off the roof, he stops himself and asks, like, what are you talking about? Which good on Hadley. He hears there's a way that I can keep my money and good on him for not murdering the person who might be able to help him keep <laughs> his money. Exactly. Yeah, so it's he's like kind of shocked. He's like, nobody really stands up to this guy that does the warden's dirty work. Like he's just the the arms and the, the force that's like basically his character and everyone's like, You're crazy for trying to like talk or do anything with this guy. But Andrew, his background is in banking. So he's trying to find a new purpose here in prison he's he's trying to you know carry on like the life that society was trying to take away from him so even if it is work even if he's not getting paid like that's like what he's going after is like this purpose like even if it has leads to nothing he has a goal here and that's to like keep his sanity because he you can see how people can lose their sanity really quick in these kinds of environments. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, he did a really smart thing. He waited and bided his time until he had a shot, and now he's taken it. He's taken the shot, and he doesn't know if it's going to pan out. But Andy explains that if Hadley wants to keep his money, then all he has to do is gift the money to Hadley's wife. And the IRS allows a one-time gift to a spouse for up to 60k tax-free, and the IRS cannot touch a cent. Cool. I have no idea if this is a thing, but if it is, cool. I'm assuming it is, because based on everything else that's happened, I would be very surprised if they made this glaring of an error of, like, this was... Either it was a thing and it is still a thing, or at least it used to be a thing, maybe it isn't anymore. I do not know. I don't have a spouse, nor do I have 60k. Something that the viewer is watching this and are like, why is he talking? Like, he must be up to something. And he could be, but like, I'm of the mindset, like, he doesn't even know whether or not he did do the crime or not. He's in this situation no matter what. So he's just, like, if he is the killer, if he's not, he should probably still be a good person either way and so he's just he's just gonna try and hold on to the identity that he has and maybe he's writing some wrongs here maybe like he's doing good to like you know prove to himself that he's a good person um but in the grand scheme of things i think it's it's really like he has a goal and that's to stay sane that's my that's my take yeah fair enough i think like you said we still don't know and I don't know if we'll ever figure out if he truly is guilty or isn't. But either way, he's giving himself a chance. And we learn very soon that Red thinks the same thing. But just a chance at normalcy. Of something that seemed normal to him. In his life. And for him, that's banking and that's understanding numbers. And that's, that's his thing. That, that's emphasized by what comes next. Exactly. And so Andy tells Hadley, like, hey you got to hire a lawyer to get all these forms taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't want to do that, then I'll do it for you. You just have to get me the form. 
but I'll fill out all the forms. I'll make sure that everything's a-okay, nearly free of charge, and his asking price is three beers a piece for each coworker. Oh, really? At the time, too. <laughs> like, that probably sounds like a lot of money today, but three beers at the time. Yeah, three beers at the time? Like, what? That's probably, I don't know, you could probably get a beer for, like, 10 cents? I don't know. It's the 1950s. I have no idea what the concept of money in the 1950s was and how much stuff cost. But here, we can we can do a quick Google search. According to USA Today, then throughout the 1950s and 60s, the average price for a six-pack of beer was less than $2, which sounds like a bargain. I mean, obviously, there was inflation. You're pretty close. 10, 15 cents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, apparently, it does cost less now with inflation and everything, but still, like, you know, it's not a huge asking price when someone, it's like, hey, I'm trying to save you 35 grand, spend eight of those dollars on beers for us. <laughs> like, I feel like that's I mean, a fair deal. <laughs> it's just like return the favor. We want to have a good time. Like, even if he was paid cash, like, what is he going to do with that money? He's not going to do uh, anything. He's <laughs> like, you know, I might as well do this and help out my friends. Probably shouldn't be paying him in cash anyways. That's a little weird. <laughs> but it exactly. establishes a relationship, too. It does. Um, which might be a happy outcome. Maybe that's calculated. We don't really know. We'll find point. out. But yeah, so Hadley and Andy are having this discussion. We have an amazing shot of all the other prisoners just looking at this conversation happening and are like, what's going on? Why are you doing this? What's happening? And my favorite guy in this entire shot was the guy, he was like the short guy on the left side of your screen, and he just has half a cigarette falling out of his mouth while this is happening. And it was just a beautiful, like, it was up there for like two seconds, maybe, and it was just a lovely shot. And Hadley yells at all of them to go back to work. And I was just like, let's go Andy. Like, you know, he didn't get thrown off the roof. Hadley seems like he's here for it. And, you know, apparently he is. And we learned that that's how the convict crew that tarred the plate factory roof in the spring of 49, that's how they wound up drinking ice-cold bohemian-style beer at 10 a.m. He didn't even chip him. He was, like, appreciative. He made it ice-cold. <laughs> Exactly. And Red also does call Andy the hardest screw that ever walked the halls of Shawshank. Which tells you a lot about the type of person that Andy is. Of He's not going to put up with other people's stuff. And he's going to do what he thinks is best. Mm -hmm. Whether that's the right or wrong decision. Yeah, and he has this calmness. Yeah, he has a calmness to him. And it's the first time that they felt like free men in a very long time. Mm -hmm. Now, my favorite thing about all of this was that they were drinking the beer at 10 a.m. It said 10 a.m., but the sun was setting in the background. And I was like, what? Is that 10 a.m.? All right. Maybe yeah. it was in the morning. That's funny. It must have been just on their last day or something. I should go watch that because I think that's a funny kind of detail. Yeah. It doesn't really matter either way, but... It makes no difference. It's beautiful. But I'm like, that is not the sun of a 10 a.m. <laughs> and either I'm very wrong on the 10 a.m., which I am pretty sure I am not. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah, the rooftop was like a sharp contrast to the rest of the, the prison and stuff. It was an escape from the prison. 
definitely one thing it mentioned though was like the guy that gave him the beer like he's usually in like a really bad attitude always beating people up but he actually was like kind of playing with with the guys like in a in a playful manner he's like drink up girls like <laughs> drink drink your beer like he was having a good time with them drinking like yeah like he was cracking and that was like them. and that was all because of andrew intervening and changing the course of that so instead of like just going on a storyline where we see everybody's bad side he like did something that altered that reality and now we're on a storyline where we get to see the good side of like the cons and the people that have to keep them in the prison (laughs) so yeah i mean red says at the end of this whole scene red says that you know he didn't do it some people might say that he did it to get in good with the guards or to make friends with the cons but like we've been alluding to red also believes that he just did it so that he could feel normal again even if it was for a short while and i think that truly hit home of like you know it's very hard for these prisoners to just have any sense of normalcy of what we think is normal in day-to-day life and you know it's so difficult for them and that you know they'll they'll grasp at anything to get that normalcy so yeah yeah andrew was sitting there with a smile on his face and they were just like why is he smiling like not even drinking beer he's he says he's sober now they're just like what's going on in there but he seems happy so he's got he's just happy doing doing something right (laughs) yeah definitely so next scene red and andy are playing checkers and andy says that chess is the real game and he wants to make a board red's like yeah this is going to be easy but andy wants to carve the pieces himself but needs some help getting the rocks which i thought was very cool but also i I don't know. I grew up in Scouts. I enjoyed carving wood. We also carved soap a lot because we found out that was easier than... I think if I were in his shoes, I would I would be interested in the same thing. I like chess. I want to like carve my own chessboard in my situation here. No, I can just go buy one, but he's in prison. And also, like he's probably going to find a lot more fulfillment using the time that he's in prison to like do this project. It's It's something... Exactly, and that's what he said, is like, Red told him that it's going to take a lot of time, and Andy was like, yeah, I have time. I have nothing but time. Yeah, he's like, I have that. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a good mindset. (laughs) He does, he does. He's He has a positive mindset, which I think is a hard thing to always keep in just everyday life, you know, let alone for someone in prison. I'd say it's not negative, and the way, like, the actor, like, portrays him, you're it's hard to even say that it's positive. Like, it's just, like, an internal, like, it's a calmness to it, which is, like, really, I think, I think it's, because if you're super positive all the time, you're gonna, like, uh, at least in my experience, like, I've, the higher you soar sometimes, like, how harder you fall. fall. If you're, like, being super positive, you're gonna hit areas where, but if you, like, I don't know, have this inner calm, like, it's a, you're still positive, but you're not, like, putting yourself in a situation where you're getting your expectations stolen. Yeah. <laughs> it, kind of, it kind of feels like just... And the actor, I do not know his name, and I'll look it up after the I finish the film, but he's doing a phenomenal job. I'm also very bad with names, so even if I've seen him in something else, 
I will not realize that I know who this guy is. Like, his face is familiar, but I cannot tell you the why. And yeah. I don't know his name, but he's doing too. a phenomenal job of playing Andy. And I think what he's done well, and the writers and the director well, but what he what they're bringing through is that it's not necessarily that you're thinking positive, but rather that you're thinking, hey, these are the cards that I have been dealt. How do I make the best of whatever situation I'm in? Mm -hmm. You know, sure, you may have done things that have led you to this situation, whatever, but just in whatever situation you're in, how can you make the best of that situation? And I think he's doing a very good job of keeping that mindset. It's not necessarily positive or negative, but just yeah. how can I make this work for me? Yeah, it's a it's a growth mindset, which is a it's a mindset like I think everyone should have at least a little of because it's like we're we're here on this planet for who knows how long, and like we have to do something with this time. If if we're not going to grow, then there's going to be some growing done for us, and we're probably just going to be like you know not using our humanity we're just going to be turned into animals <laughs> anyway that was maybe a little deep real quick but uh <laughs> <laughs> you see that with some of the other characters which we'll see soon but thank you for listening to life chat with Ankit and ben back to the film so <laughs> oh, I love talking about, man. i'm sorry <laughs> can't help it <laughs> it's a podcast if you didn't want tangents just go watch the film <laughs> so red asks andy you know hey now that we're friends can i ask you why'd you do it and andy just responds with i'm innocent just like everybody else here still sticking to it i still think he might be innocent i still think that he is but again he's doing a very good job and the writers have done a very good job where you don't really know one way or another we do learn that red is in shawshank for murder and he goes, I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank. I thought that line was pretty huge, actually, because everyone else there is maintaining they're innocent, but they are probably guilty also. But he's the only one that's like guilty, guilty, like not just guilty in terms of the sentence, but he's guilty in terms of the it's it's harboring on his heart. He, he's he's trying to find redemption because he is guilty. Definitely. This is. The scene that kind of sparks me to think that Andy might not be the end game in this film. And I'll explain more at the end of the episode of what I mean by that. But this is the scene that kind of sparked this idea within me that Andy might not be the end game of what's going to happen at the end of the film. Again, I still don't know. So, but it really hit home like he's the only one of the characters that we have met so far that's accepting the fault of yeah. what landed him in prison. He's in his own case there. Yeah, we're really following like Andrew's story throughout it. Like Red's been there like 10, 20, or he's 20 years when Andrew got there. Yeah, something 30. like that. We hit the 10 year mark. So like he's, his story, like we're also kind of following that, but we did start with Andrew and this, the Shawshank from Redemption is, is about his story. Yeah, it definitely feels like Andy's story, but it also feels like Red plays a big yeah. part of this. Like, yeah. I I feel good about my guess that Andy meets someone in prison and becomes good friends, and then they start helping each other. And I 
I feel good that Red is going to be that person. I don't I know in what shape or form they help each other, but I think that they do. We got Morgan Freeman. We got to use him. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Look, you're paying the man. You might as well milk it. <laughs> yeah, he's in there just, just as much as Andrew. So Definitely. And we cut to Andy, and he's carving some pieces for his chess set. And then on the wall, we see that Andy has carved Peter and Penny into the wall. Did I miss something? Who are these people? I didn't catch that. That was on Andy's wall? It looked like it was on Andy's wall, because then he stepped oh. up and then started carving the letter A with his rock hammer. And then the scene cuts. Maybe we'll learn letter. I have no idea, but I think Peter and Penny are gonna come back. I don't know who they are. We also never got told his wife's name, so there's a chance that his wife's name was Penny. But Peter wasn't the lover, so I, I don't know. I'm very confused, but I feel like Peter and Penny eventually will come back in, because otherwise why would they show it to us on his wall? Or at least I'm assuming that it was his wall. It'll be a surprise when they show up. Fair enough. That's all you can say, and I appreciate that. So we'll move on. So... We then cut to the prison movie night, as we foreshadowed in episode one. And it is what I learned from, I think it might have been Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but I'm not completely sure. It might have been some other movie or TV show that had a prison. But the one thing I remember them saying is that movie night is the sacred night. And no one does anything to fuck up movie night. Damn, they did say that? Okay. No, 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 not in this film. In some oh. other film. Oh, well, I think that also rings true for here because when we are introduced to movie night, like, everyone's in a good mood. Everyone's watching, and they're like, oh, finally, we get to see, like, beautiful women on the screen. Like, yeah. Trapped in prison, I would be of the same mindset. I would be like, hell yeah, I love Exactly, movies. it's like, <laughs> don't screw up movie night. Because if you screw up movie night, it's not just the normal enemies that you have in the that hate you. Everyone hates you. <laughs> you have no backup. <laughs> Come on, movie night. Don't mess. Movie up night that. is sacred. Bad Do not vibe. touch movie night. <laughs> now, some people did not get this hint. Exactly. So, apparently, they have seen this one film three different times this month, and I, I started laughing, but then also I did remember. I was like, okay, like if they have movie night, say that they have movie night once a week, you know, and it's 1950, early 1950s. Yeah, it's probably. Not easy to get new films very quickly because, you know, you still need to have, like, the real canisters and everything. So, sure, maybe, you know, every month the movie changes and then they just watch the same movie every week for a month. Sure. Yeah. And if the movie's good enough, fair enough. Like, if that's your form of entertainment, like, yeah, I'll watch films multiple times just for fun. It's completely okay. So, the woman, Gilda comes on the screen and apparently this actress's name is rita hayworth and she comes up and the prisoners hoot and holler like it is the first time that they've ever seen a pretty woman but it's actually the hundredth or something they've probably seen this film more times than anyone's ever watched any movie oh, probably of- i mean to the point where andy has come in and tries to ask red for something and red's like wait 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 i want to see this yeah, this part is what I've been waiting for. He's like, I've been waiting this whole time. You shut up for two minutes. Let me see the beautiful lady flip her hair. 
All right, beautiful lady has flipped her hair. What do you want, yeah. Andy? Yes. <laughs> I think it's really important. It's like you have to be somewhat sentimental about things. Otherwise, your life doesn't really have any meaning. Like, so if you enjoy something, you need to, like, really go into that enjoyment. Like, he's in prison. Like, there's not much that makes him happy. He knows that, like, watching a movie is, like, you know, this is a good time to have a good time. So he's yeah. going to enjoy it to the fullest, even if it is the hundredth time, because the rest of his life is, like, so hard to bear. Definitely. And so Andy then asks Red that for Rita Hayworth. And finally, we learn who Rita is. And I was like, okay, this isn't what I was expecting, but okay. Red says, because I thought Rita was going to be someone that comes in and tries to help Andy out of this situation. It's very yeah, wrong. We're a different generation. We might, we might not know her. I think she was a real actor, though, so maybe our parents would know of her. Yeah, it's very <laughs> for, possible for that, yeah, like, our parents, our grandparents might know, like, we're 25. So <laughs> we learn who Rita is, and Red says that he'll get her but it's going to take him a few weeks. And Andy's like, a few weeks? And he's like, yeah, I don't have her stuff down the front of my pants. Like, wait. <laughs> I just love that. I just laughed. The first time that he's impatient, but it was like, it was jokingly. He was jokingly if... impatient. I don't but think like... he was actually <laughs> impatient. <laughs> so Andy walks out of the movie and then gets ambushed by the sisters. They go into the film room. They kick out. I think, was that Brooks in the film room putting on the reels? Yeah, yeah? it was. Okay, cool. I, it was so quick that I couldn't quite tell who it was. So they kick Brooks out of the room, and Andy just says, all right, fine, let's get this over with. And like a badass, he grabs a metal film reel and then smacks two guys in the head with it. Yeah, but there's like four or five of them, and there's one of him. You know They're what? In to... his defense, he landed the first hit. He didn't land anything past that. But... <laughs> <laughs> so there there are about like four or five of them like you said two of them are able to like you know grab him and pull him down and they beat him a bit and then eventually andy is on his knees and boggs comes up to him and says look i'm gonna open my fly and you're gonna swallow what i give you to swallow and then roosters you broke his nose you owe him something <laughs> like Ugh. i I, yeah, I felt it. I felt Nobody it. Nobody wants to be there. No, no one. Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. But we continue. And Andy, with, again, just a badass response. Anything you put in my mouth, you're gonna lose. He's telling the truth. He's telling the <laughs> truth. But so, Boggs pulls out a shiv and says, if you do that, I'll put all eight inches of this metal into your ear. And Andy just calm and collected again i'm sitting here and i'm like ha this is not okay but andy's just <laughs> calm and collected and he's just like okay that's fine but just know that sudden serious brain injury can sometimes cause a victim to bite down really hard and sometimes the bite is so strong that they have to use a crowbar to pry it open like the person's mouth do with this information as you please and just so, so calm, cool, collected. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, this guy is a badass. Like, let's go, Andy. I'm here for it. 
Yeah, it turns out things didn't go very well for Andy. Oggs and his friends did not put anything in Andy's mouth, but they did beat him within an inch of his life, which caused Andy to spend a month in the infirmary. And then Boggs got a week in solitary confinement, a.k.a. the hole. Yeah. Amazing scene by every actor that was in. Like, the actor that played Boggs had my skin crawling, and the calmness and the coolness that Andy showed just... It was, you know, hey, again, I'm in this situation. I'm not going to back down, but also I understand how do I get out of this potentially is I have to use my smarts because that's what he has over the others. He's outnumbered. Yeah. He doesn't really talk that way. That's not his language. Yeah. I mean, man was a banker. He he was a proper, you know, rich person. I'm assuming. I don't know. Everything that I've learned is that bankers have money thanks to, you yeah. know, the That's world. Thing. We don't really see who he was before, but that, I think, really adds to how we think about him and how we can find him as a relatable character. Definitely. And I mean, like, it got me to the point where, you know, the writing is so good that I was literally as soon as this happened and we see Boggs get released from his hole, and he starts walking back towards his cell. And I just wrote in my notes, I really, really hope that Red and, you know, Andy's other friends beat the crap out of Boggs. And, you know, even if it throws them in the hole. Turns out, (laughs) I wasn't too far off. So Boggs enters his cell, he turns on his light, and there we see Hadley. And we haven't seen Hadley for a bit. And Boggs is a little confused as well. And Hadley just beats him with his baton, kicks him to the floor. Hadley's friend and other guard grabs a hold onto Boggs. And Hadley beats the ever-loving pulp out of him. And I was just, this entire time as Boggs was getting beat up, in caps, I wrote on my notes, Go Hadley. And then right next to that, this feels wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I am cheering for someone who is beating up someone else. But the writing is just so good that I was like, oh my god, I want horrible things to happen to Boggs, and I am here for it. Even though in my head, as Ankit, I'm like, never beat someone up. This is a bad thing to do. Yep, and this guy has already killed an inmate before. and Exactly, like... Out of it, but not the same person. He'll be sipping food from a straw the rest of his life, is what they say. Right? Like, Hadley has done some terrible things. And, you know, Boggs tries to crawl away, and Hadley and the other guy just grab his legs, continue beating him off the screen. And Hadley's done some terrible, terrible things. But I couldn't help but just, I don't know, be proud and be happy and be like, yes, let's go. Like, this is good. Like, whatever is happening is what's right. And it was it was that weird situation where you're like, you know, you know, in your soul that this is actually wrong. But in the context of the story, you're like, fuck, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the language of his characters like force. And so even though like we're aware that he's like maybe a, a bad person, like maybe this or that, but he's beating up this criminal that was equally bad person, if not more. You know, and Andrew Dufresne has uh, this guy on his side now, uh, look, 
looking out for him, even if he didn't even have to say anything. But they're they're well aware of what happened to Andrew after this incident, so they they take action because definitely I think established the connection. <laughs> it's also a very good you know we see the growth in all the characters, but especially Hadley, where at the very beginning he just beat up fat ass for the sake of beating up fat ass. And I'm just calling that character Fatass because he was never given another name. So <laughs> now it's a, a little bit better. Yeah, but he doesn't actually kill Boggs. He doesn't kill Boggs, but also I think it shows, like you said, that Hadley is now looking out for Andy because Andy did him a solid and helped him out. And it shows that Hadley isn't a horrible human being. Not just an animal, but maybe not... an animal with a brain. He's some. He's part human. <laughs> I think he's an animal with a heart where, you know, he will do the dirty work and he'll do it and whatever is needed will get done. But also, if someone is kind and helps him, he's going to return that favor in the way that he knows. It might not be the way that Andy would have been like, hey, deal with this. But for Hadley, this is the way that Hadley knows how to deal with a situation like this. And that's okay. And so, two things happen after Hadley beats the ever-loving Pope out of Boggs. And that is that, one, the sisters never laid a hand on Andy again. And two, Boggs never walked again. And as far as Red knows, we find out that he was transferred to a minimal security hospital upstate. And as far as Red knows that he spent the rest of his days drinking food through a straw, which is <laughs> a terrible situation for anyone to be in. But also, I kind of laughed. Mm -hmm. I felt bad about it, but also I was like, hey, serves you right. Yeah, he doesn't have a capability to walk again. That's That sucks. That sucks. But ju that was, I guess, how justice unfolded for him in this story. Definitely. So Red tells the friends that Andy deserves a good welcome back after he's, you know, out of the infirmary. Haywood agrees and says, you know what, hey, we owe him for the beer. And Red informs all of them that Andy likes to play chess. And then he just says, let's get him some rocks. <laughs> yeah, it's like a group effort all of a sudden because they're all looking out for him because he's looking out for them. Yeah, it they're all looking out for each other and... It's quite nice, and I think that's where we're going to take a pause, have a quick intermission, and then we'll come back and we'll continue through until about the halfway point of the film. But see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the intermission. Just as last time, but a refresher, this is just a little segment where I'm going to go over some housekeeping things. And first of all, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Post Finale. I hope you're enjoying it so far. If you like the show and you can do so, you can support on Patreon and you can find the Patreon at patreon.com slash postfinale. After signing up, you'll have access to some bonus content such as my notes, bonus audio, and the opportunity to help me decide what films to watch in the future and what the show will potentially look like. So if any of this interests you, just head on over to patreon.com slash postfinale. Now, any money that is made from the Patreon will go directly back into the show, and the money will be used to buy better microphones, better editing softwares, etc., etc. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, 
please tell a friend about the show. Reach out and say, hey, you love movies, or I've been trying to get you to watch more movies, so check out this new podcast. Talk about us on social media, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you may be listening to the show. All of these different things help, and I really appreciate all of you that have already done so, and anyone that will do this in the future. And with all that through, thank you so much, and let's get back to the episode and learning about Andy's time in prison. Wonderful, and we are back. So, all the prisoners are outside, they're digging. Haywood thinks that he has found a rock, and he goes over and tells the others. And the others are just like, yo, this isn't soapstone, this isn't alabaster, but rather, it's a horse apple. Haywood doesn't believe him, and they just have a lovely interaction. Haywood just goes, bullshit, red, no, horseshit, petrified. Beautiful moment, just... You know, slight comedy in a fairly dark film, and I just, I cackled at that point, and I was like, yes, thank you, Red, for providing comedic moments. <laughs> I guess the life of living in a prison, you gotta make up your funny moments out of what you're working with, which might just be, like, some dudes digging in a field, but yeah, they were, like, I think searching for some rocks so they could make, like, this chest thing that's, like... Andy's project that he's working on, he was has to have a project going on. So Exactly. They wanted to help him out, get him some rocks after the whole situation that happened with him getting put in the infirmary. So by the end of the week, they have a ton of rocks. They also get a huge shipment that same week of cigarettes, chewing gum, sipping whiskey, playing cards with naked ladies on them. And the most important item of all was Rita Hayworth herself. She came. She, she was came. delivered. I was very wrong. I, it's a poster of Rita. This makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I was very confused on what he meant by Rita. A poster makes a lot more sense. And They're watching the you know, movie and they're looking at the girl. <laughs> and they're like, I need her on my wall. <laughs> but it's like, this film is like, set in the time. So it's like, sometimes all those things are missed. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I guess Rita Hayworth was the girl in the 1940s, and, you know, good on Red. He didn't charge Andy either. Very kind gesture right there. And right after that, so Andy gets back. He gets the poster and everything. It's it's a very nice moment, and Red's just like, you know what? Welcome back. Like, you don't have to pay for this one. This one's on us. I was kind. And then, just like that, the warden and the guards come to toss the cells. And I never heard that phrase before, so I was like, is this a surprise inspection? Turns out, yes. And the warden comes in, and he tells Andy that he's pleased to see him reading the Bible. Asks Andy for his favorite passage. Now, I know we both went to a Catholic school, but I'm also (laughs) not gonna lie. I do remember that we were in the same... We used to call it Bib Trad. Oh, yeah. Theology class. <laughs> Theology class. I'm not going to lie. I don't remember anything from that class other than two things. One was that I had to take the midterm after I had been traveling for the entire week for my sister's wedding. And so I took that midterm, failed it, went into office hours. With whoever our professor was, I cannot even remember our professor's name. This is how much I do not remember this class. But lovely professor, because he was like, hold on, you always participate in class. Like, how did you fail this test? And I explained it to him. 
I had a conversation with him and he was like, all right, how about an 80? And I was like, I'll take the B. <laughs> so He's the funniest guy, like just a genuinely nice human and like very chill. Like he just wanted to like make everybody's day better. Like he had a really good just personality and lifestyle. Like like other professors, like they're more like coaches. He was somewhat of a coach, but more of like a almost just like someone there to teach you by example. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good thing. <laughs> it was a very fun class. I do remember that. I just don't remember any of the content because I'm not going to lie. I didn't really connect with any of it or not care because it was like it was class. I did still care. Like I wanted a good grade, but also at the same time, like, I don't know, I grew up Hindu and that's more me. And it was interesting to learn. But the second thing that I remember, and it is solely because I still have a video is you rubbing an apple on your shirt for a solid, like, 15 seconds before you look dead in the camera and then bit into it. <laughs> remember, yeah, some, every time going to that class was fun. We had, like, some friends <laughs> in our class, and, yeah. I was, like, getting snacks right before class. I love snacks, so I'm always, I was always snacking during the lecture. And the professor was chill with it. So, <laughs> but... I didn't recognize any of the quotes that come up, but I don't know if you do. So Andy says that his favorite is, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh. And that's a Mark 13.35. Yeah, just ironic because they're like in the cell. And he's like, yeah, the master of the house cometh is, is literally like them coming to ransack his room. Oh. A Bible joke for him speaking the language of the warden but then the warden like hits back with another line i forget what it is but it's yeah so the warden hits back with i'm the light of the world he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life john chapter 8 verse 12 yeah warden has this savior complex for the inmates and what he says goes he's god <laughs> definitely <laughs> I now that you've explained that Andy was making the joke, the wardens also now makes more sense to me. I'm like, why that's his favorite? They have so much like hidden meaning in in their lines. Kind of ridiculous sometimes. Fair enough, but that's also beautiful that it wasn't just you know, and credit to the writers, credit to the people who put this together that they didn't simply just say a quote. I have no idea if these quotes are famous quotes or, you know, if they're very common ones that people like. But f fair play to the writers to go and do the research that they actually put in quotes that make sense and there is a hidden meaning. And if you know it, then sure, you might understand the hidden meaning. And if you don't, you're just like, OK, like it doesn't it didn't take away that I didn't know the hidden meaning. I could kind of tell like they were testing each other a bit. But I didn't know the hitting meaning. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, while this whole conversation is happening, Hadley's looking around the cell doing his surprise infection. He finds a rock blanket and Andy explains that it's for shaping and polishing rocks. And so Hadley says, you know, hey, there's a little contraband here, but it's nothing to get in a twist over. Like, don't worry about it. It's all going to be OK. And. The warden doesn't approve of the Rita poster, but he says exceptions can be made. 
And as soon as he said that, I was like, what do you want, Warden? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wants something, and I don't know what. He's seeing uh, something in Andy at the moment. Sure, and I, I get the sense seeing something in Andy. Hadley obviously sees something in Andy as well. You know, otherwise Hadley wouldn't have done what he did for Andy. So the warden sees something, but I couldn't place what he wanted. And I, I want to trust the warden, but I'm also weary of the warden. And that's where my current stance is. Good. <laughs> I don't fully trust him. It's like a 50-50 split where I, I want to trust him. I want to think that he wants to do good and try to help the inmates and better themselves, you know, despite yeah. everything. But he's like... The pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. He has good intentions, but he's just probably the most harmful character in the, that we've seen. <laughs> <laughs> Who's not innocent, or who would claim his innocence, but it's the way he's doing it is like the way that we're viewing it is like, wow, this is kind of messed up. Yeah, he's the most mentally harmful character because I think the warden's really good at manipulation. Whereas Hadley is the most physically... Yeah, definitely. He doesn't get his hands dirty. <laughs> yeah, Hadley is the more physical character. The Warden's the more the manipulative character. The brain. <laughs> yeah, so Red tells us in another beautiful voiceover that tossing the cells was really just an excuse and the Warden wanted to size Andy up. Which, fair enough, we kind of got that from this past scene. Andy enters into the warden's office, and the warden on his wall has a beautiful cross stitch that says, His judgment cometh, and that right soon. <laughs> Is this a common thing? I have no idea. I'm assuming it's from the Bible. He said that his, his uh, missus made it. Yeah, um, he said his wife made it in a church group, which props to the wife. She's very good at cross stitch. It's just so ingrained in his character this idea that you're gonna you know bring judgment and it's gonna bring something good to the world but obviously it's not the way he's doing it and the thing and the real good change is coming from the kinds of things that are happening around andy and his relationships <laughs> totally so the warden asks if andy likes working in the laundry room and andy's like not really if i'm being honest so the warden says that they can find him something more befitting of someone with his education. So Andy gets relocated to the library, and we get to see Jake, the little bird from earlier. Now he's a full-grown raven. I'm glad that he's a healthy, healthy guy. I kind of forgot about him, but it's good to see him. <laughs> so Andy has been reassigned to the library to work with Brooks. And Brooks is going around, and they have National Geographic's Reader's Digest, Louis L'Amour, Magazines, Earl Stanley Gardner's. I recognized most of these. Did you? Like stuff in the library? I didn't, I wasn't paying too close attention to all the names. I know, like, one of the books. I, I know if you probably look into the books, there's probably some meaning you can get from, but I haven't, I haven't looked into that. Sure, I mean, fair enough. I mean, National Geographic's Reader's Digest and Magazines were all just different types of magazines so <laughs> i remember yeah. growing up we used to get the reader's digest to the house but i don't even know if it's even a thing anymore yeah i don't magazines I are anymore 
Yeah, I, I don't know they how were much. Back then, that was like a good pastime. I've kind of lost touch with that a little bit. But he yeah. still have magazines, just maybe not the same popularity as they once had. Yeah, I mean, magazines still exist. I still see them all the time at the stores and stuff. But I feel like magazines, and I, I don't, I'm not claiming that I know everything about magazines. But to me, it feels like a lot of the stigma of what happened with magazines was that these tabloid magazines became very, very popular. And then that's kind of what took over. And earlier it used to be a little more like educational and that's how you would get information. That's where you'd get stories, etc., etc. And then once these tabloids and everything started kind of taking over in the 20th century, I feel like the popularity of magazines has gone down. I do still see them, but that's why I think that they've gone down. I have no idea. I haven't done any research on it, but this is just my guess. Yeah, there's more options out there now. Definitely. So Brooks explains the job. Every night, he makes a round, writes down the name on the clipboard, easy peasy. And then Andy asks Brooks how long he's been a librarian. Brooks then tells us a bit about his life. He came to Shawshank in 1905. He never explained why. I was curious on why Brooks came, but I don't know if we ever got that information of why he was in prison. It doesn't make a difference. It's just a question that I had. And he became the librarian in 1912. And this entire time, from 1912 to 1949, he's never had an assistant. And Brooks can't tell Andy why he's been assigned to the library. But Brooks is just happy that, you know, he has some company for a change. And I was happy for Andy, and I was happy for Brooks, but this made me a little more weary of the warden. Of why are you now giving him an assistant? (laughs) <laughs> like what's really going on i don't trust you like each other and he's on his good side he wants to be the librarian that's kind of uh what's happening yeah sure not what i thought was happening i thought the warden was trying to do something shady turns out not actually like he was legitimately just trying to help well you can be skeptical you haven't seen the whole film so this is true Currently, I feel like the warden is just trying to help from where I've gotten to. of something to be skeptical of. Who knows? (laughs) Maybe it's a long con. Maybe the warden's really just pulling all the strings. He's the biggest criminal of them all. Maybe Andy's manipulating him. (laughs) Maybe it goes both ways. (laughs) Oh, that would be interesting. If Andy becomes the warden at the end of the film, hell yeah. That's how, like, a lot of real-life, like, relationships, they go both ways. So, like... One person can think like they're manipulating them and that they're in control, but really it's the other person. And we see that dynamic play out in this film. Definitely, definitely. And that's why communication is key if you want a healthy relationship. So Hadley comes in with another guard. His name is Deacons or Deacons or something. I forgot how his name was pronounced. We're going to call him Deacons. Deacons comes in and tells Andy that he wants to set up a trust fund for his kid's education. And then I was like, oh, Andy's and Deacon's are going to sit down. We're going to see a discussion. No, 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 no. We cut. Which, fair play. We didn't need to see that discussion because then Brooks in the cafeteria in the very next scene just kind of explains it in like three sentences. And that's all the explanation we needed. So, again, very well done with the directing and the writing of, you know, we see the moment happen. We don't have to see it happen to know what happened. Again, a very just good storytelling tactic so 
we're in the cafeteria and Brooks is gushing over Andy like a very proud father and says that Deacon's even like shook Andy's hand at the end and Brooks nearly soiled himself. And I laughed again. I was like, oh, this is such a happy part of the film. I'm laughing and it's so nice. Like good things are happening. I felt good. Yeah, uh, it's a... Um important part of the film because it's like Andy's standing out. He's making changes here in Shawshank where the only change is you slowly lose hope and become institutionalized. So it's kind of a big deal that he's like making a change to the system. Yeah. And speaking to the change to the system, Andy goes to the warden and asks him, hey, I want to get some funds, get some new books in the library. Hopefully that can help the other inmates, you know, new books, and it'll, it'll be new stuff to read. So Brooks tells Andy that, you know, six wardens have been here through his tenure as a librarian. None of them ever gave up funds. But Andy's persistent. Andy goes and talks to the warden. Warden tells him the same thing, that funds are tight. And then Andy suggests something that I didn't know was a thing, but maybe it is, of writing to the state senate directly. And the warden says that the Senate thinks that there are three ways to spend money on prisons. More walls, more guards, more bars. That's how you institutionalize people according to them. And, you know, that's just because they they see them as a threat. They don't see them as human or anything else. And they lose sense of their actual true purpose in fulfilling their mission, which is to, like, turn the lives of these, like, people that have, like, fallen through the cracks and make them in like rehabilitate them but the opportunity to become rehabilitated or reintegrated into society doesn't happen here so it's kind of a broken system yeah it sheds that light where you know hey prison is not supposed to be easy but it's also hopefully supposed to be a place where you can get better and better yourself so that whenever your tenure there is up you're able to live a better life afterwards. But that line especially, it made it very clear that, I don't know if it's still like this, but at least back then, that, you know, they didn't care once you were in the system and once you were in prison. They were like, your life is lost. There's no meaning to your life. And that's how the government saw it. And that's really dark. And that's not how you should see it necessarily, I think, of... You know, hey, yeah, people make mistakes and that's okay, but that doesn't mean that you take away their basic human rights. And, you know, you can still be kind to people even if they're in a prison. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff you can get out of this film. Definitely, definitely. So Andy requests that he can write a letter once a week and that the Senate can't ignore him forever. The warden says that they will, but says, you know what, Andy? You can write the letters if that's what'll make you happy, and I'll even mail them for you. So, good on the warden. Like, again, this is where I keep going back and forth of, I don't trust the warden, but also, like, he's doing kind things. He's trusting Andy, which is nice to see that (laughs) happen. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice to see that. It's also nice to see that the warden's like, hey, if this small, simple act is gonna make this guy happy to just try then who am I to take away that moment of happiness for him? And that's respect to the warden there of like, hey, you know what? I I don't think it'll work, but if this is going to make you happy, go for it. 
like it doesn't come to any extra cost to me other than putting a letter in the mail every week. So, good on the word. We then learn that Andy starts writing his letter every single week, and just like the warden said, he has not gotten a response. And then the following April, Andy does the tax returns for half the guards at Shawshank. The year after that, everyone, including the warden, had their tax returns done by Andy. And then the year after that, they even rescheduled the start of the intramural season with tax season, and all the opposing team's guards all remembered to bring their W-2s to Shawshank so that Andy could do all of their tax returns. And I was like, aha, this is what the warden wanted. Free labor, but also at the same time, like, it's giving Andy some joy. He seems like he enjoys it. Keeping a purpose, a reason to keep on going. He's helping other people, even though he's been wrongfully convicted and put behind bars. Yeah, he's still able to, like Red said, have some sense of normalcy in his life, even if it is for just the month of April. Some sense of normalcy in his life to where he can do what he learned how to do, which is be a banker and, you know, fill out these forms and do this type of stuff, which is what he used to do. Yep. And Red was perfectly fine with it because by the end, Andy needed a staff and it got Red out of working wherever he was working. I don't remember off the top of my head. The woodshop. I have it in my notes. So Red was happy because it got him out of a wood shop for a month every year. So it seems like it, it's an okay and things are things are looking up. You know, things are looking like they're getting better. Not necessarily in the way that I had predicted, but in a weird way, things are getting better. There's some type of normalcy back into people's lives and Andy's life. And the guards even seem a bit kinder, at least to our main characters. I don't know about to everybody, but to our main characters. Mm-hmm. So Andy and Red are sitting outside. They're grabbed by someone, I don't remember who it is, and they run up saying, hey, it's Brooks. And I was like, oh no, don't let Brooks die. I like him. Turns out Brooks hasn't died, but he has a shiv at Haywood's throat and tells everyone to back off. And Andy tries to calm down the situation. Andy tells him that, hey, Haywood, don't worry. Brooks, you're not going to hurt Haywood. Everyone knows that because Haywood is a friend and Brooks is a reasonable man. Just tries to calm down the situation. It was very well done by all the actors in the scene where Brooks truly believed that this was his only way out of whatever situation he was in. And everyone else really took that to the level of, hey, this is life or death intensity for Haywood, and we need to try to calm everybody down. And I thought the actors did a wonderful job of portraying that in that scene. Yeah, it's a scary part of the movie. Like You're like, what the fuck, this guy's tweaking, and all of a sudden he has a shiv to this other guy's hand, and previously we hadn't seen him act this way, and it's like, whoa. It's a very jarring moment. Yeah, it it speaks to the experience he's had in the prison for the past 50 years that he's been there and how the system has worked on him. (laughs) Exactly, because Brooks breaks down crying. You know, he lets go of Haywood, but he also says that 
hurting Haywood was the only way that they would let him stay. And I was a little confused. We learned very quickly what he means. But Haywood is worried about himself. And even in this very intense scene, I got to give credit to that writing team. Because they still made me laugh in a very, very intense scene. Because Haywood was worried about himself. And Red just tells Haywood, yo, you've had worse from shaving. What did you do to set him off anyway? (laughs) He escalates the situation nicely. Yeah, he de-escalates it. You know, Andy's taking care of Brooks. And Red's like, Haywood, shut up. Like, you've done worse to yourself. What happened? Like, fill us in. Haywood then tells us that he came to say fare thee well. Because Brooks's parole has come through. And... This is where, as we've been saying, like, you know, it's that thing of they've become institutionalized. This is all Brooks knows in his life. He's been there since 1905. At this point, it's early 1950s, might even be 1955. We don't know the exact date, but it's almost been 50 years of his life that he has been in prison. And at this point, prison is all he knows. So outside, everyone's talking. Red tells Haywood to shut up. And Brooks isn't a bug. He's just institutionalized. You know, it's not Brooks's fault. And this really hit me. You know, Brooks has been here for 50 years. And this part of what Red said, this is all he knows. Inside prison, he's valued, educated, important. Outside, He's nothing. Yeah, all he knows is <laughs> what he's leaving behind, so I would be freaked out too. Exactly. I mean, I don't know how anyone can leave something where it's everything that they know, like their entire livelihood, and just go. It made me realize that, like, hey, you know, we always think that getting out of prison is always the best thing for people. You know, they get to be, they get to come back into society. They get to come back and, you know, learn, get reintegrated into society. But how bad prison can be for some people. And if you're in there for so long, how it can really affect someone's mind of, you know, at at a point, this is what they know. And it's not like Brooks had a bad time there. Like, like Red said, he's valued. He's educated. He's an important member of this society, which is Shawshank. And outside, he's just a nobody that nobody wants to deal with and everyone's going to think of as an ex-con. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, there's not much else to say. It, it's just, it's, it's rough. And Red then says, you know what? These walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, and you depend on them. That's institutionalized. And that was a really nice way of breaking it down for someone who might not necessarily know what being institutionalized is. You know, we you may have heard the phrase before, you may have heard it elsewhere and, you know, in the news, but it's a nice way of breaking it down, of showing the steps of how you get there and what it really is from their perspective. It's gonna. <laughs> we find out really quickly how how where this road ends. <laughs> like it it gets bad to worse. Yeah, things are not things are not going good, and you know we're nearing the end of this episode, but we're gonna get through this chunk. And 
Let's just say that it's a doozy and a lot happens. So Brooks is in a suit in the library saying goodbye to Jake. Sets him free. Jake flies away. And again, as I was saying earlier, this is so sad in a weird way. I feel really bad for Brooks that he has to leave everything that he knows. Again, society has told us that we should feel happy that, you know, his parole came through. But I don't. And then it just becomes even sadder because nobody comes to pick him up. Like, no one's there to pick him up. He's been in there for 50 years. No one outside still is there for him. They won't understand him as a person. Exactly. And it's just so sad. And, you know, we see Brooks in this outside world. He's lost. He doesn't know what's going on. And for the first time, I think, in the entire film, I might be slightly off on this, but I'm pretty sure it's the first time really outside of that courtroom scene maybe where we had some voiceovers from the DA who was prosecuting. But we have Brooks doing a voiceover, and it's very heartfelt and... You know, there's a lot that goes on here, but pretty much what Brooks says is the world outside, everything moves very fast. He saw an automobile once when he was a kid, and now they're everywhere. The world has gotten itself in a big damn hurry, which still made me laugh because I feel like that's how we still are today. We don't necessarily sometimes take those moments and have just time to breathe. And like, you know, I had one of those moments last week and it was lovely where I just took time to breathe and it's just a reminder to take time and breathe you don't always have to rush that's okay and you know the parole board got him a job bagging groceries they got him into a halfway house and he tries his best at his new job but he has arthritis so his hands hurt the manager doesn't seem like he likes him very much and you know this made my heart break is that sometimes Brooks goes to feed the birds, hoping that Jake might show up and say hello, but he never does. He just hopes that Jake is okay. Oh, so heartbroken. This man has nothing. Even his bird. It's a heavy letter that they get at the... Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a lot. We'll continue through. I mean, it, it really is just a lot, but he has trouble sleeping at night. Brooks jokes that he should get a gun, shoot up the food way so that he can go home back to Shawshank and then he was like I should shoot the manager for a bonus and I chuckled at that I was like I'm glad that Brooks hasn't lost his sense of humor throughout all of this he doesn't like it and he's decided not to stay and this is when I didn't feel good about how things were gonna go but we see Brooks he grabs a knife he climbs up onto a table and starts carving away at the wall and then we see Brooks kick the table out from under his feet, and he hangs himself. You pan out, and you see that Brooks carved into the wall. Brooks was here, and his body is hanging from the noose right underneath that. The guys at the prison get this letter, and Red says, you know, he should have died in here. I don't really have many words. I was pretty heartbroken this isn't what I wanted for Brooks. It's, you know, I liked his character, but I think it was needed in the film. Yeah. I think it does 
a really good job of showing how difficult someone's life can actually be after they've gotten out of prison. Yeah, some of the stuff he says in the letter, like wanting to shoot up the grocery store and stuff, you're like, you almost can't even blame him given his situation. He's basically doesn't have any other point to live. He just wants to be back at Shawshank, so gotta go commit a crime to get back there. <laughs> it's like a joke. Oh, like a half, he might as well have do that too, but that's so shitty. And that's why he decided to kill himself. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he just wanted to go home and the fact that home for him was Shawshank, which home can be anywhere. Home is wherever you make it. But then when you're forced out of your home and you don't know how to get back, it's hard. And for this man, it was 50 years. And, you know... This is where we're going to end the episode. I know that it's on a bummer note, and I wish that it was on a better one. (laughs) It's on the lowest of lows, not necessarily where we wanted to end the second episode of this podcast. (laughs) The redemption comes next. Yeah, so I'll leave you and the listeners with this. I don't think the prediction is going to be clearing his name any longer. I think he's been in Shawshank for too long. I don't think that's what the goal is anymore but rather that getting parole and being able to survive in the real world is going to be the redemption. And I actually think that it's going to happen to Red, not Andy. I think it would be more powerful if Red, who is the only character that we have seen and he has said, I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank. He accepts the murder. And when we got introduced to Red, he was trying to get parole. So I think what's going to happen is that Red is going to end up getting the parole. And then the redemption aspect of it is going to be that Red is able to survive in society. Maybe not thrive, but survive. And meeting Andy is what is going to change that for him. Because I feel like if Red got parole before he met Andy, before he became friends with Andy, he might not have survived either in the real world. But now after he's met Andy and everything that's happened in Shawshank and everything that'll still happen, I haven't seen anywhere past this film. I stopped the film after Brooks died. I had to cry. But I think that it's going to be that Red is going to be able to survive in some way, shape, or form based on what he learned from Andy. And that's going to be the redemption. We'll have to find out and see. The way I say it is, like, each character has their own story, their own sentence. So right now we're at a 0% success rate with Brooks <laughs> reintegrating into societies. <laughs> what will happen next? Will it be Red, Andy, or any other them? It's, we'll see. Or we won't see. Maybe it'll go in a different direction. Who knows? I mean, way to keep that very vague. Thank you. (laughs) Shawshank. Shawshank. There we go. Ben, thank you so much for joining. Is there anything else that you want to discuss real quick? Anything that we may have skipped over? You know, any last thoughts? No, thank you for having me. It's fun talking about this awesome film. So excited for you to watch. 
and hear your review. Oh, I can't wait to watch the second part. That is a uh, plan for tomorrow is to watch the second bit. Have fun. I can't wait. I might text you after I'm done and just be like, ah, <laughs> but Ben, thank you so much for joining. If people want to find you on the internet doing stuff, where can they find you? I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, however you find me, find me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wonderful. Well, listeners, thank you so much for listening. Ben, thank you so much for joining. And until next time, we'll see you later. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Post Finale. The podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. I also run social media. Our editor is Pranav Nair. The music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutchison. And the art is by Jared Rother. If you would like to support the show and get access to some bonus content, be sure to do so at patreon.com slash postfinale. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PostFinalePod. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, tell a friend about the show. Reach out and say, hey, you love movies, or I've been trying to get you to watch movies. Check out this new podcast. Talk about us on social media, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever app you may be using to listen to the show. All of these things help, and I appreciate every single one of you that has already done this, and anyone who will do this in the future. But I'm just thankful that you joined for this episode and be sure to join us next week where I have a new guest and we continue to discuss the Shawshank Redemption and find out what happens and how things aspire after the sadness of Brooks's death. And until then, I'll catch you later.